Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with my partner, Brad Binkley, and our absolute favorite libertarian podcasting host, the Mac Daddy, the best in the business, Pete Quinones, who also has a couple, wears a couple of other hats, including the managing editor of the Libertarian Institute. And who knows what else he's got up his sleeve right now. It is such a pleasure to have you on, Pete. How are you doing? It is so great to talk to you guys. It's been a while. So, all right. What's going on? Tell us your latest. Are you working on anything? What are you up to? The show, I know you're, you've got your uh, coals and many fires. So is there anything that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Well, I mean, the, the next documentary on the, on the police and the history of the police is what's being put together right now. It's coming together a lot slower than the first one, though. COVID really slowed things down. There are people who just didn't want to meet, didn't want to be interviewed face to face. And um, so the interviews are going slow for that. But as soon as we get the interviews done, pretty much then the editing process starts. And, um, you know, we're looking we're looking forward to that one because people people invested a lot of money into this one. So we just need to make it the best it can be. But um, it's going to be a lot different than the than the monopoly on violence, because this isn't going to be targeted towards libertarians this is going to be targeted towards the mainstream so oh interesting and is it fully funded at this point basically oh yeah we're fine yeah we're fine wow. i mean if people want to still send us money we'll be able to, <laughs> we'll we, take we, it. i mean we can use it for yeah you know promotion and everything like yeah. that but um yeah it's it's looking good it's looking good so the monopoly on violence i really got a lot out of that and i actually kind of became familiar with all the different people you interviewed and many of them, you would think that I, you know, I, I do a lot of reading. I'm always on the Mises Institute and stuff, but these were people who were new to me, books that were new to me. Like I found that it was very well sampled for different points of view, like against the grain was just one of my all time favorite books. And there's absolutely no way that guy and I would have the same opinions like James Scott. He's, he, he isn't a hardcore libertarian. He's maybe even, he might be an anarchist, but I don't think he's like a hardcore libertarian. So I wouldn't just stumble upon him at Mises Institute, but it really, you know, expands the mind. I met Maj Ture through there. Uh, I liked kind of getting too familiar with Larkin Rose's stuff. I've actually promoted some of his stuff on the podcast. And then who was that professor who really blew my mind. I, I think you told me the name of the book and I just lost track of it. You know, he was such a profound thinker and a skinny guy, black hair, maybe even curly black hair. Dang it to heck. Who are, you are you um, Peter Klein? Um, Might have been. Mark Thornton, Thaddeus Russell? No, Thaddeus Russell. I, I uh, did catch up. Oh, oh, mark. oh, 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 Michael Humer. Yes. Michael Humor. Yeah, yeah. What the, is the problem of political book? authority? Yes, political exactly. Authority. Oh my gosh, I must have that. I must have that book. Here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. But uh, I just I just must have it because I'm waiting for the grid to go down and I just don't, I need to make sure that my library is fully stocked and I probably need to know how to grow stuff, but I'll talk to you about that in a second. Um, okay. So that's your big project right now. Excellent. What, um, so a lot has happened since the last time we've talked and obviously a lot of people are moving towards really, it came to their attention as it did me 
how vulnerable we are to the grid, to what's to the supply chain, to not knowing how to grow our own food in any way, to not even having stores in a, in a pantry or in your garage. And I see you've had a lot of people on your show recently who do homesteading stuff. Some people more or less are able to move off the grid. Most of us kind of hope to or wish that we had some kind of flexibility there. But another thing you've been talking about a lot lately is the uh, technological slavery, Ted Kaczynski stuff. And what was weird to me is I, and I looked it up, double-checked on my Amazon file, that I bought that book in January, 2020. And I remember when it showed up at my door, I was shocked at myself. I was like, was I drunk? I can't believe I ordered that under my own name and had it delivered to my house and I'm out there. But that like was a bridge too far. And, and, and I thought about it. I was like, no, I was watching like the forensic files or something. I was watching something really mainstream and just impulsively as I do, I just like bought the book. And then I got it and I read it and I was like, wow. And then this whole COVID thing happened. I was like, oh my gosh, Kaczynski was right. We need to just like get out, get out into the woods and or be able to take care of ourselves. And I started to think back and I was like, you know, I don't think things like that are a coincidence. And even now, if you, if a friend of mine is doing a podcast on Elul and he went to find technological society and it came up technological slavery, the Kaczynski book came up instead, like they're pushing it. Yes, that's the one I have. Exactly. And that was kind of fairly recently published. So a couple of years ago. So I just, I wonder if you are as suspicious as I am that that thing was being ruled out. And at the same time that people feel an, uh, an urge to kind of start taking care of themselves defensively. Any, you see any sinister reasoning behind that? Hey, let me just start by trying to explain what I see the fascination with Kaczynski and why so many people are reading him. You know, Kaczynski wants to take us back to the, to the bronze age. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, don't think I, know. I don't even know if fire is okay with that. Guy. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to go back to the bronze age, right. but here's what I will tell you as somebody who was in a big city and went to a city that's much smaller. Uh, but yeah, 5% the population of the city that I was in. People are instinctively seeing the answer to what is happening as moving backwards in time. Back to a time when people lived in smaller communities, when people had a garden, when people had a couple chickens. And I think that even though a lot of people may not realize it, that is the way they're fighting what they've seen happen in the last 20 to 21 months. Now, Kaczynski, now <laughs> that being introduced at that time, I mean, you can take that in so many different directions. You could say, well, you know, they want us to do this because then it's easier for them to control us. But I don't think that's true because the smaller you get and the more self-sustaining you get, then you, you have more liberty. Good. But they could, I think that the vax anti-vax, like if you don't get the vaccine, the apartheid is like 
they're going to treat those people the way they treated draft dodgers. You're kind of like marginalized. You can't participate at all. They legalize pot and weaponize THC, in my opinion. Of course, I want to end the drug war. I don't think that stuff should be illegal, but it's clearly uh, being weaponized and regulated into weaponry. And then I think they're going to make psychedelics legal. And I just see all these parallels with trying to get uh, the active demographic, the politically important demographic, the demographic that's important to everybody, be neutralized by whatever, turning on and tuning out or something like that. And, and homesteading would be a way you're so totally occupied with it. You're probably never going to accumulate capital so you can pull a Ron Paul and go down and control the political, you know, make a contribution to the control center. And, and, Maybe you, you get such a set of sense of satisfaction out of it. You know, maybe it's like the psychedelic thing where you get so much out of it that you really don't want to engage anymore. It reminds me of the sci-fi book. Maybe it was Heinlein, maybe it was Asimov, where they one by one turned into like these weird lizard things and got shot onto the planet. And and no one ever came back from that. And they were like, wow, we, these guys must just be dying all the time. But the last guy who went, you got an insight into his thinking. He's like, I'm never going back because it's so nice out here. And they and the people just left the planet because they thought, well, there's nothing out there. But what was out there was paradise. But it only was accessible for a few people because you just lose touch. And so I think it may I would I would think that there may be an element of trying to neutralize the most dangerous people, which are the people who could actually handle homestead. Uh, I, I'm of the opinion that COVID is going to go away soon. Um, not in the big areas. I don't think it's going to go away in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, especially. Um, I, I know people in LA who, who are, who are saying that they walk into every place without a mask on and they don't get yelled at and everything like that. So, um, the climate change thing is coming. Uh, that's going to be, see, I'm of the opinion that as far as the COVID people go, I think 28 to 30% of the population is really for it, is really scared of it. They're what you would call, you know, COVID idiots or whatever. Um, I think that if they do climate change, like I think they're going to do, they're going to get more and they're going to get people on the right to buy into it as well. Um, I think that it's going to be a bigger fear. I think it will be in order for them to get people to buy into it, they're going to have to set something up. There's going to have to be a false flag here and there that really looks bad. And yeah, if, I don't know if you saw the, the headlines this earlier this week, they're calling for city shutdown in new Delhi because of the pollution. And the last week, it came out that somebody was hospitalized in Canada. Yes, diagnosed, they were diagnosed. Yeah, they were diagnosed with climate change, and <laughs> and that's the nexus of the pandemic structure of society, like the illness structure of society, which I think is replacing the war structure. Yeah, and I think that they're, I, I think they can really make it work with climate change, which is, and I don't think they can make it work with COVID so much because unless they are releasing viruses <laughs> that are stronger strains, this is going to get weaker. I mean, I had it and I had it really bad. Oh, I, I mean, in I, 2021 I or 2020? I had it in July. And yeah, that's the bad one. And yeah, I was so down for like, I was down for like three weeks. Yeah. 
and yeah it yeah. sucked i had it for about two weeks it, it's i still can't my See, sense of smell i still haven't got it all the way back yeah i, I had just it got in january I, and it was not yeah. that bad okay so yeah i i didn't have sense of smell or taste for three months i finally yeah, so got it back a, a while ago yeah um, it took me and, a long time too, but I see what you're saying. Like it has an end date. This thing does. And, yeah. you know, and they're going to, it's going to shift. So, yeah. Let, let yeah, me ask you a shift in a climate change. Do you have any speculation about what type of false flag? I wrote the they, same question. They might carry out because I, there's, so people are afraid of the virus because they can experience it, uh, COVID because uh, they can experience or they know people think experience is more remote. I just, what, what kind of false flag do you think might, they be able to do that could create a real fear in people who are all already totally bought in to climate change. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> why don't you just ask me the way that I would do it? <laughs> How would you do it? There you go. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're creating things in labs. All they need to do is create something, release it in a couple of cities. And it looks like the environment was what did it? Yeah, what caused the mass or like mass a big sickness, cell lungs like, like people get like lung yeah, yeah. cancer who never yeah. smokes or you so you don't think it would be like directly weather related yeah you're right it's going to go that way because the texas well, power be. outage was yeah. cold and the power went out to people who aren't used to it they did they couldn't handle it and that was i don't i'm sure you've heard me talk about the 2017 spars document chapter 12 was all about mm. doing exactly that and the point of the exercise was to see how you could propagandize people when the power shut down so that's going to be a lot of it too this supply chain stuff, the power, but yeah, a bug. Yeah, yeah you're right. You weather up. manipul Well, and weather manipulation, we know it's true. I mean, there was a UN document in the seventies that everybody had to sign that they wouldn't use weather to wage war against each other. I mean, if they're talking about that in the seventies and they have tech and they're foreseeing the technology to do it, imagine what they could do now. I mean, it's I don't think it was when Trump said nuke the hurricane. I don't, I think he was just being, <laughs> saying stuff that he may have heard around or read, you know, yeah. have heard yeah or read yeah I, I don't think that was him being retarded like he normally you know like a did lot you, of what he does is yeah did you ever see that interview i saw it on alex jones but i don't know who was behind the camera but it was ben livingston i think who was a pilot in vietnam and said they used the weather they can yep. seed the clouds as a force multiplier which there are documents more recent documents Operation using Popeye. it as a yeah very good as a force multiplier and he also said the reason he was talking about it is he said it was absolutely criminal he believed that katrina was organic which i don't there was an eventual one right before katrina so of a katrina type thing in new orleans everything was the same but he said that he even if it was organic which he thought it was all you do is seed it out in the ocean like it would be outrageous to allow something like that to get to hit landfall you could do it pretty you know you could see where it was headed and then do that. So he clearly a guy who was doing this 50 years ago knew that that was within the realm of possibility for him. Then now I think it's super weaponized in that they stopped the rain. They're doing the droughts out here. They're doing the fires. And that is all terrorism. That's echo terrorism that they're putting on us. It's not as acute as that outage or as a mass illness would be, but it's definitely, you know, and that's another thing like report from Iron Mountain talks about how they don't need to have something that does it. They need to have something that cumulatively they have determined psychologically is the, it gets, gets the population to a tipping point on policy issues. Yeah. The, like I was thinking about hurricanes. If they unleashed a bunch of hurricanes, it would, they'd have to put it 
they'd have to aim them somewhere where hurricanes didn't happen. They would have to, you know, if they sent hurricanes at Florida, great. I lived in Florida. I went through <laughs> many hurricanes. Yeah. And if they start like sending them at Nova Scotia, you know, at like a cat four or cat five, that's yeah. going to, that's going to raise questions. Um, that, or they could do something. I mean, they could do something insanely evil, like, blow off a piece of Gibraltar and have it drop into the ocean and cause like a tidal wave or something like that. I mean, they, this is all, I'm, geez, I, I'm so glad I'm not inclined to be evil because <laughs> you have an evil mind because yeah, well, you're clever. Let's just yeah. leave it at that. Well, they can do, they can do tidal waves and stuff. I think with just charges in the, under the ocean seismic sure. shit. Yeah. They, I mean, they can cause seismic shifts under the yeah. ocean, but I mean, if they really wanted to, um, cause a good one, they could do something like that. You know, and they're looking and, at that. Yeah, destroying monuments is not beyond that. Like they don't care about, they like that because it's trauma. But I would say to raise questions because it went to Nova Scotia. I mean, I, this COVID experience has made me really believe that even the most expert of the experts, if they raise questions, they just get taken out and absolutely everybody falls in line, you know, except for the 20, there's that Aldous Huxley thing, Binkley turned me on to is like 20% of the people you can always fool, 20% of the people you're never fooling and the propagandists for the 60%. I think that that has played out a hundred percent and it, it could be applied to something as ridiculous as a hurricane in Nova Scotia, I think. Yeah. And that whole 80% that is malleable, um, well, 20%, the 60% that are malleable, just what do you do? Fear. That's all you have to do is just fear. Just get them scared. Get them scared for their lives. Get them scared of their kids. I mean, you get them scared for their kids. I mean, that's why people are getting their five to 11 year olds friggin' vaccinated against a, a virus that they don't get i mean yeah what is it 70 kids have died from this in the united states like and under i knew uh, someone under who 11, died. 12 i knew a 14 year old who died of a coronavirus when like 10 years ago he died of carditis which is a function of uh, they were like this mm-hmm. it was the craziest mm-hmm. thing my boss's son that he had a cold and they just didn't even want to bring him to the hospital they bring him to the hospital and then he died and they were like what the hell just happened and the doctor said like it's very very rare but sometimes a cold can like just get into your heart and I know that's what it was. So I think 70 kids a year probably die of it anyway. You know, we're doing these campaigns too to target the children. So it kind of like they used to do for toy campaigns where they would play toy commercials during like, uh, during cartoons to get the kids to nag their parents. They're doing similar type of marketing to kids to try and get them to want to get the vaccine and, and turn them against their parents. But it's such acute fear that they cannot think because that's just such a simple concept to absorb. Like how, how, how likely is it of my kids to be injured by COVID? You know, not at all. Like how do they get people to believe something that just isn't even in the official narrative? Even in the official narrative, it doesn't say that you're actually, the kids are at risk. Well, and then they use that whole thing of, well, you know, if we, give give them the vaccine then if they do get it they won't give it to their grandparents yeah. i mean that is just right. the and that's just some evil stuff because yeah. it's like it's really making kids believe that they have like the power of life and death over their yeah. grandparents it's i think pretty know. likely that we are going to see kids starting to get sick because that protein strike spike is not benign and if you if you get it 
to where their body's making it themselves. Who knows how efficient they are at that? Could be quite efficient. And I, Kawasaki, it takes into consideration. It takes into consideration that most of them, you know, most of these kids have been fully vaccinated with stuff that we, you know, when you look at the numbers in the last thirty to forty years, I mean, it's like, what do they say now? It's like fifty-five percent of kids by the time they're 16 have like some kind of lifelong illness something that they're going to deal with in their for yeah their, and, um, and that that was just not a thing you know and then you have like you know the preponderance of autism that happened and everybody screams oh well back in the 70s and 80s they just they couldn't diagnose and i'm like <laughs> i'm like parents can't tell if their kids are freaking... <laughs> stop talking <laughs> yeah i mean what the hell are you talking about did you, are you hear? saying that parents are just Parents in the eight, my, my parents were, my parents weren't the greatest parents in the world, but if I stopped talking, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would have figured out something was wrong. Did you hear about the Tylenol connection that the, that the reason, well, I don't know if this is the reason, but so they'll say, oh, we did, we do the vaccine studies and it's not autism, it's not autism, it's not autism, but kids who have a reaction to the vaccine when they stopped giving kids aspirin which they did around that time, they told the parents to give the kids Tylenol to suppress the fever, which makes your liver malfunction so bad that if you were someone who was reacting to the vaccine, that would cause serious injury. So that's why if you do, I'm inferring or whatever, that uh, if you inducing, deducing, if you give the kid uh, a, if you just do a study based on vaccines, you're never gonna see that injury unless you also give the kids Tylenol. So I think that there, there is something to that too, as being very clear. Yeah, that was, I found that, I think it was in our, when we were talking to Wayne Rohde, I was listening to, he wrote the vaccine court, which is a book. And I just, I need to get back to him because the things that he said, like about kids having those kind of illnesses. I mean, I have a big family and I just start looking around and I'm thinking, you know, it is weird that I never had anything. My mom never had anything. Like, it's just weird that that kids are getting stuff that, I mean, you should be able to trace it back to the family and you can't. So it has to be something else. It has to be something environmental, whatever that could be. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'll see. I'll get back with Wayne and we'll pick his brain. So, but yeah, the other thing I worry about with these kids is that they've already started drawing connections with the kind of autoimmune problems that you can get from vaccine injury and saying it's like COVID stuff. I remember over a year ago, they're like, oh, there's a rise in Kawasaki disease. And like Kawasaki disease is basically Guillain-Barre or polio or all those things that, that cause that paralysis of the extremity. And they're, I think they're just anticipating it. They were trying to say, oh, it's, yeah. it was already trending first. And I mean, that's sick too. Yeah. When you look at these, um, I'm sure you've seen the video that people have put together of all these soccer players just falling over on the field. No, all these soccer players are like having, getting myocarditis, getting enlarged hearts and just, I mean, like just passing out on the field. I mean, like, I'm not talking about, they're not even playing. They're just, they, you know, they're they're like setting up for a free kick or something and just they just, yeah. they're just falling over. And I mean, these are some of the top athletes in the world. Well, what the hell's going on? It just doesn't make any sense. And the Astro worlds, the original stories, which you're not hearing anything about cause of death, but it was heart attacks. Yeah. People don't I die mean, of heart attacks at those things. They die of asphyxiation, but these are like teens and young adults. Like it was just weird to me. I just, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. So, um, 
so I have been, you know, so I think about the homesteading thing. I think about the idea that, that if you go completely off the grid, you kind of abandon the world and, and eventually the world might turn up at your doorstep. So I don't want to abandon the world, but I remember a conversation you had with, I think it was Vin Armani. Was it Vin Armani where it, it was at least a year ago? So it was pretty fresh into the whole COVID thing. I think it was in the summer. And I think it was him saying, like, we just have to come to terms with the new reality. The world is changing. This is a revolution. Like, things are different now. And, like, kids are going to Zoom school. You can Zoom work. And, I mean, it's just going to be different. Get used to it. I think he thought, like, masks would be forever. And if you see, like, in some Asian countries, they do kind of still wear masks from scares long ago. That may be true. But just the overall, you know, there's going to be a change of etiquette, a change of, you know, the way of fashion, like these things were all going to be affected by the whole COVID thing and just accept it and try to live according to that new world, but while maintaining your principles. And I really bummed at that. I was really bummed because it felt like giving up. It felt like capitulating. It's like we have a Jeopardy um, category called things a rapist might say. And this emerged over <laughs> a lot of a lot of Fauci stories and everything. Like, why are you making us do this to you? Like, why why don't you just lay back and take it? So that was one of those things. I was really resistant to it. But I am with you, like where, where we started this conversation, in that I think that we're gonna that we're we're kind of gonna it's we're gonna end up on the other side. It's like they almost. I think like it was an Aristotelian idea or maybe it's a dialectic idea or whatever, where you push to the exact opposite extreme of where you, you know, you really push overshoot and then you can settle in, like allow the reaction then you can settle in kind of halfway there. And I think that they will do that. And we can, if we adapt, we can get back to normal or not normal, but we can live and not be miserable. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of apartheid right now. Like it's very annoying. I can't go to restaurants or I can't go to the salon. Like I can't do any of that. And it's very new. So like, I'm not, they passed this in LA. Like you just can't do that stuff. So I'm not like super chafing at it now, but it's going to suck if it goes on for too long. But I don't think it's going to go on forever and ever. But I, I, you know, how do you, I mean, what is a, a caring person who cares about the future how do you think about that? Do you, how much do you accept? How much do you just try to preserve the remnants? I think of it as there are these fire carrying societies, like back in the day when I was thinking of Ted Kaczynski, I was like, would he even accept that they would take like the fire that was made from a lightning, you know, the embers of, of like a forest that burned down and they would carry it from campsite to campsite. They didn't know how to make fire, but they could carry it with them. And I, I wonder if we're just like the fire carriers where we have to keep the remnants alive uh, or is that, you know, is that capitulation? Is there some way of taking it all back? Can we, can we win the counter-revolution? Like, what's your feeling on that? Well, <clears throat> to go back to like getting off the grid, that is really difficult. It, to get to the point where you're 100% sustaining, it takes years. It takes years of focus, and that's your only focus. Um, even um, Travis, who I had on um, who wrote the book Escape the City? He says he's at best he's fifty percent, um, you know, fifty percent of his own food and everything like that. I think Jack Spierko said that he could last a year or two with what he has on, you know, what he's able to do on his land. Um, 
I think that at this point, we take care of ourselves first, take care of our own. Um, I have started to advocate for if you're in a small town, this isn't going to work in big cities. This is, I don't even know if this is going to work in blue States, but you know, Hoppe talked about in, uh, in what must be done in 1997 about taking over, not taking over, but becoming local, politically active locally, getting some libertarian minded people elected and start trying to privatize things. And basically, you know, somebody asked me, when does it come, when does it get to the point where you pick up guns? And I'm like, if you wait until it gets to the point when you pick up guns, you're going to lose. I mean, Sun Tzu said, you know, if you, if you find yourself having to react, you're dead, you're not going to win. And I said, the only way that I could see violence being used as defense, defense against them is if you're locally active, if you have a great sheriff and they basically, the town decides the feds are not coming in here. OSHA's not coming in here. No one's coming in here. And if you cross over the property line from this town, you're going to have, you're going to have a big problem. You know, this is what, what the John Birch society was talking about for years. You know, they were, um, they hated the ATF, they hated the feds, they hated the FBI, they hated all those, but they were considered to be bootlickers because they believed that local police and especially the local sheriff, I mean, constitutionally, the local sheriff is the highest, the highest elected office in the land. Um, if you what? look at the constitution, yeah, the, the sheriff, the local sheriff is the high, is the, the most powerful elected office in the land. If you have somebody who, a sheriff who is willing to, I mean, the feds cannot even operate without the, without the um, cooperation of local government. And when the ATF goes in, they immediately look at, look at, um, go to local police and say, look, this is what we're coming in to do. That's one of the reasons why Waco was such- I was just going to say, what happened? Was, is that why Waco was a disaster? I think so, because if they would have went to Sheriff Harwell, Sheriff yeah. Harwell would have been like, um, I'm arresting no. that guy. Well, yeah. they could have just arrested him when he went out jogging. Yeah. So they obviously had to go. Hey, you, you blew my mind. So I've got to jam back in my head. I. Uh, we have a little place in the desert here in um, Riverside County and the sheriff. So I was out there when this whole thing came down and it was like the first county to have a mask mandate. And we have this little HOA. And those idiots are just, they're worse. Like they actually, the town, the city allows the HOAs to have their own rules because it doesn't really affect them. Like for Airbnb and all that stuff, they allow you to have your own rules. And these idiots make the rules harder than the fucking city makes me nuts. But um, it's just unbearable. But the, but the sheriff at a certain point, I guess Newsom just did one more statewide thing. And the sheriff did a video, which he like was on the news in Riverside County saying, we are not, we want you all to know, we are not enforcing any of these mandates. So don't look to us. You don't have to obey them. And I don't know if the stores were ever didn't like it. And I was just blown away. I thought, what is going to happen to that guy? And nothing, nothing happened to that guy. It was amazing. Let's go. The sheriffs have to see people. They're in that community, you know, so if they were to just 
adhere to that stuff blindly, then, you know, everybody in the town would be pissed at them. They'd be run out of town. So it's good. It shows that the decentralized nature of that type of power um, is effective when it's just harder to enforce uh, tyranny when you have to live in that community all the time. It's a lot easier to do it from far up above. You don't have to see the people look them in the face. Yeah, I, I honestly think that if you are you're in a local area, especially a small area, and the sheriff is, you know, and especially if libertarians have have influence, um, I, I think you can make you can make your stand. The people do not realize how under budget, how low budgets like the ATF has and DEA. I mean, the DEA. <laughs> is it couldn't even like bust every pot shop in LA in, in like one year because they just don't have the kind of budget to do that. Oh, so interesting. All, so you're saying they have to tap into the local guys. They have to tap into the local. So if they don't have any, if they don't have any help from local, then, I mean, that's the way forward as far as I'm concerned is take care of yourself first, but get the hell out of cities. I mean, Cities yeah. are just the worst place to be if, for all of this. I mean, I was in New York um, in, last month. Yeah, last month in October in New York City. I mean, it's yeah. out in the boroughs. I mean, Queens was fine. They it's an didn't open ask air prison, me. right? It's yeah, well, like Qu Queens prison. was fine. Yeah. Um, but Manhattan is like they're the people who work in the businesses are like ecstatic to ask you for a vaccine passport and, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know? So well, some of these places are getting like hermetically sealed. They're getting too rich, too crowded. Like they, New York was so crowded last time I went there that I was always a surface dweller. I did not like to go into the subways and I was definitely not going to take a bus. So I used to take cabs, which people thought was crazy because it was expensive. So but I expensive. lived in Midtown on purpose so that I could just take a $5 cab ride anywhere. And the last time I was there, or a couple of years ago, as the transition happened, I don't know when, five years ago, probably, or maybe before that. And the people walking on the sidewalk were faster than the cab. Like we couldn't catch up with people who walked past us. Like I was never catching up. It was just, it was almost like a wheelchair. Like you just only taken the cab. So you did not have to walk, but that is not that they had, they had to, that wasn't, that wasn't going to work. I mean, that just wasn't a good situation. And I think that they, are fine just and then i always wondered when harlem would turn over when it would stop being i was like this is the best real estate in the world look at those brownstones it's you know it's on the island like what are they doing to maintain this as a slum type conditions and it started to turn over so i don't know what policy changed but um and then like if you go to london or even when i went to stanford my old stomping grounds like the everything all the buildings were new there's just so much freaking money and I feel like they are happy to to clear out the cities of anyone who would object to the totalitarian stuff. Maybe people who just are only in it for the money will stay will sell them their souls and they like it that way, probably. But I, I think that there is there is something to what you're saying about like that those particular cities may like always be that way. But maybe that's part of the future, like the dome cities or whatever the the places that just really drawing lines between classes and castes and how people live. And, and maybe that's what this is all about. Maybe that's what the, the Vax apartheid thing is going to be about. I just, I cannot, I just don't have a vision of the future that doesn't, isn't just 
everything looks like an international airport terminal with lacquer and blue neon and chrome, or we're all just wearing loincloths and growing chickens. I just, I just can't see the hybrid. I need help. And I, and the free County project is not a bad way to go or whatever. I had a Mises guy tell me like, don't go for the free state project over the free County project. Maybe that is the way to city. Go. Yeah. I mean, Hoppe talked about 10,000 Lichtensteins, you know, where you, you decentralize so much that you just basically have these little city states. And I mean, that's, I, I really don't think that that is the only way to go forward. Um, anarchy is not going to happen. It's, it's just not, I no, mean, even if, not. even if the government fell, um, yeah, it's not all, all that would happen was that millions of people would probably die and then they would just get the same yeah. government again because they'd beg them for it. Um, and I don't think that agorism is going to take down, you know, take down the government because it's like now they have MMT. So starving the beast is that's out. And I, I think we they've shown that they can manipulate the currency enough to keep things going. And I don't think people even care about the national debt anymore anyway. So um, really, honestly, I think the only way is radical decentralization. And when I say decentralization, I don't think we have a, a centralized government. I think we have a very decentralized government. The federal government is very decentralized. And the fact that, I mean, if, if you know, it's what, what Hoppe talks about in democracy, um, the great thing about with a king is you have one person. I mean, who the hell is running this government? No one knows who's running this government. It's not Joe. I mean, Joe Biden's shitting on himself. No, the friggin' yeah, Vatican. No I mean, th this he's not running it. Kamala's not running it. Um, on the surface, it looks like Obama and Susan Rice are probably pulling strings more than anything. But are really, the people. You don't think oh, he's no. smoking cigarettes and. Oh, no, I think I Obama. Beyonce. He was no, at the I... climate conference. He gave a, a big speech yeah. at the climate conference. Yeah, he's urging still in power. action. Susan yeah. Rice is there. Um, I, I think Susan that, Rice, I could see. Yeah, I think so maybe they're still really have the that people. Relationship. Yeah, the people running the government are the na same nameless, faceless people that yeah. have always done it. So, I mean, <laughs> that's total decentralization. Um, you want sent. On a bigger scale, you want to decentralize so that that cities can get territories can get smaller. But also, when they get smaller, you want there to be more central, like Hoppe talks about, where you know who to blame when things go wrong. You know, so you know how oh, Hoppe talk, I see. talk about you want one. Yeah, you want one. You want one or a council or a, a council of elders or something like that. Right. Uh, Hoppe talks about natural elites. It's like that we have. You know, the, the yeah, elites yeah. that we have Definitely. are like you talk about created people. We, we want to we want natural elites, yes, the kind right, of people exactly. in the in the community that when something goes wrong, that's the best person you go to because, you know, they're wise, you know, that they're successful, you know. It, so you want to you I have to go back and reread possibly for a third time democracy, the God that failed. Like I would, that's well, I mean, I would. At? I, would I mean, read, I love it, but I, I never even thought of it as like implementing. I thought it was as brainstorming. Well, I would read what must be done. Oh, um, oh right. That's okay. from 19. That's from 1997. Right, uh, right. There's an audio of it on on YouTube. It's um, it's a Mises supporters summit. And it's really when it's an hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes. And I broke it down, actually, on an episode with a couple people. 
uh, we were looking at because the last 20 minutes is him explaining how you would do this and how, you know, the first thing you do is you're like, okay, no one gets to vote if they're not a net taxpayer. Oh, that's my idea. I no, came that's, up with that. that's Hoppe's idea <laughs> from 1997. I think and, you can have the same idea at different <laughs> place and time. I know it's it, well, once someone comes you up, you probably with the do idea, that all the time. Yeah, once oh, it's in the air. The idea, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's it's in there. the air. That, they say that, that like the New York Times crossword puzzle, it's harder yeah. to do at eight o'clock in the morning than it is at ten o'clock at night. Wow, that is hilarious, especially yeah. if you live in New York. Yeah. So the um, you know he talks about that. You, you can't. So that immediately eliminates anyone who's living off the public teat, public teacher, you know, politicians, um, public school teachers, anybody who's living yes, off the tax yes, money. They can't vote anymore. Totally. Great and, idea. you know, and then you know, once you convince people of that, because property owners are going to be down for that, people who pay taxes are going to be down yeah, for yeah. that, then you start talking about privatizing stuff. Yeah. And but, the only reason Patrick Henry didn't make that point is that there were nobody there wasn't anybody who was a net tax consumer yeah. at the <laughs> yeah. time. But Binkley probably likes that uh, or caught that the titles of his books are Lenin knockoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. They both yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was because, um, well, um, what's his name? Habermas was his. Um, I think. Mentor. It, yeah. Mentor and everything. That's where I mean, he basically got argumentation ethics from from Habermas. I wanted to go on one of Hoppe's cruises once and my husband wouldn't let me. It's like, well, I wanted to. I can't I trust to, you. <laughs> I wanted I was, to go was like to, him and Ron Paul were my crushes. <laughs> I wanted to go this year to Turkey to his property and freedom society conference, but I just didn't want to travel international Yeah, because well. I mean, I just, I didn't want to have to handle what, deal with anything that they were going to do. I know somebody who went when they tried to come back in the country, they tested positive for COVID and they had to go to, they, they went to Costa Rica for like a month to, you know, it was just, That's they wouldn't let them back in the country. Yeah. So. All right. So um, I'm going to also get what must be done. So you, yeah. that's, that's where you're, that's where my, you're my head out. is local. Yeah. I mean, wow. I just don't think gosh, that, um, that's great. I can't believe I'm getting a white pill from you. Pete. <laughs> Anna, I mean, <laughs> I thought I you were like, how many AKs do you have, Monica? Come on, get real. No, I, I don't. I don't even talk about anarchy anymore. I don't call myself yeah. an anarchist anymore. It just doesn't make it. Well, an anarcho capitalist doesn't make sense because the capital is now just fiat. It's yeah. like beyond fiat. The MMT thing is just makes it not even like I, ugh, I can't even explain it anymore. Yeah. So forget it. And to me, an agorist is a, an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is doing something more than just, you know, selling weed or growing, you know, growing crops An entrepreneur, you know, my idea was, you know, when you get that town and you get libertarians, you know, with all the influence in a town, you have real agorists, people with money, and who can do things, rebuild the infrastructure, rebuild water plants, rebuild power, do power plants. And while they're doing that, the town protects them. The, the government, the local government is protecting them while they're doing it. So we can, you can do that outside of the system and you can create your own basically little country, little city state there. You know, like Hoppe said, 10,000 Lichtensteins. You ever, and you, you have your was, own little Lichtenstein. Did you ever, people, ever, 
Yeah. What people need also in, in these little towns, they need intellectual protection from the mass messaging that is specifically targeting rural areas and, and locales and children and ministers and school teachers. And they, they're the communist takeover. They want to infiltrate everything at the most local level so that they can make it appear as their top down plan emerged naturally. And, you know, the, the education of it. So what type of education do you uh, obviously not state-run government education, big government it's education. It's private. It's a bill, you know, you, you, a homeschooling network for people who want to do that. Private private schools that are run by liber, you know, designed by libertarians. Um, you know, there, there's even bigger questions, and I, I think that you know, Hoppe has addressed this: is do you allow people to teach or even promote communism? I mean, what do you do if somebody in your community starts promoting it? It's a legitimate uh, question because they will target the communities. That's that you see it yeah. everywhere now that they infiltrate these communities. You can see the, the plans forming and they, they want to expand the 5G networks and all that. They want to get them in all these rural areas because that's that's their outlet to propagandize them. So I, I think that, you know, it's a question worth asking. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things you can do. First, you ask them to stop. Second, you ask them to leave. Third, you say, well, now there's a now there's a local income tax of 65% just for you. <laughs> yeah. And you force them to and you force them to do it and you force them to leave. And if they still don't want to leave, well, then Hoppe's physical removal becomes a reality because Not you cannot tolerate. How can you tolerate if your goal this is where liberalism failed. This is where classical liberalism failed. Um, they allowed communism and socialism to be taught openly. And it took over. If your whole goal, if this whole country, if this whole experiment was, found, was founded upon freedom, why would you allow things to be disseminated amongst the people which are against that, which would enslave well, enslave whole parts of the population. Yeah, it's your Achilles heel because you want to say there's like utter free speech. But but it was actually worse than that, because if you look at the history of like the historical society or the economic society, I think um, one of the I definitely read some of this in a Rothbard book, but also in other books where and the um, G. Edward Griffin interview of Norman Dodd about like the Carnegie endowment, they, there were international players who deliberately infiltrated, did studies on how to overtake and they could not get the history teachers to make stuff up. So they said, well, we just have to wait 20 years till they all die and make sure that everyone coming up is one of us or like the economics guys. They said, there are hardly any ec economists because we don't need any. So let's just create an army of economists and they will naturally go for central planning because they otherwise wouldn't have a job. They only exist be in the, in the context of, of the planning. So, so it, that is something I always wondered, like when they said that CPUSA, the communist party of the U S like the house on American activities committee and stuff like that. I was like, well, how can you stop somebody from being a communist? If they're a communist, they're a communist. But, but the problem was the way they actually defined it was if you are if the entity is controlled or run or planted by a foreign government. And so, and it was, 
that I think was something Whitaker Chambers maybe rooted out. And that's where they drew the line. But even then I was like, well, isn't liberty enough to withstand that? And I, I hear what you're saying. And there is, I mean, that's when it starts getting, even immigration stuff starts getting uh, like uh, Rothbard backed off from the open borders thing and the practical reality of the USSR falling because immigration was being manipulated for geopolitical reasons. And how do you, that, I mean, you have to think about immigration in the context of not a free society. So when you go back to that very controlled community, this very small community, if somebody starts teaching your kids something you don't like, and you do a bunch of things, to try to get rid of them. What about like boycott? Like my kid isn't going to your school, you know, or we fire you. Like but, uh, what, and what other kids saying? are still getting, other kids are still getting, yeah, unless you fire them. But I mean, they're going to, this is something that so many people miss. Okay. I was, um, and I was watching in the comments when I was on Tim Pool, and I made the point that libertarians and especially right libertarians are about radical order and that the left is about chaos, that the left leads to, that the left leads to chaos and the right, right libertarians about radical order. And I watched somebody in the comments go, libertarians don't believe in order. That's what people, that's, because libertarianism has been so infiltrated That's by leftism ask you. Yeah. in like, especially in the last 15 years, they've been so infiltrated by wokeism and leftism that people on the outside, especially right wingers who would normally be our ally, who would just be like, well, I just don't agree with you on this. Just now look at us like you guys are a bunch of freaks who just you know, the trans rights and you're, it's not enough to be anti-racist. You have to be actively anti-racist and you know, stuff like that. And that's what we need to take back. I mean, if libertarianism wants to win, we're, I'm sorry, we're going to have to move to the right and we're going to have to move, wow. move to the right because the left is in charge. Yeah. And you have some, you have some libertarians on Twitter who are like, you, you hate the left more than you hate the state now. And I'm like, the left controls the state the press, the academy, <laughs> tech. Um, I think you can say the state and the left interchangeably. You you used to say that you hated conservatives. I think something like that, like you hated. Well, I mean, I, I, I still, I, I, there are still things that I hate about conservatives. Yeah, it's the too. neocon thing. But I think that, I yeah, but I think that, can, well, I mean, and then now all the neocons are on the left. They're all they, they all side with the Democrat <laughs> yeah, Party. Yeah, Hillary. Um, for and, example. But, yeah. But one thing that that a lot of libertarians, because they don't pay attention to the culture and they eschew the culture, they don't realize how much the right has changed, mostly because of Trump, and how he has put the anti-war kind of bug in their head, and how he has put the like the kind of FBI, you know, to you know, is the FBI maybe the Maybe the FBI is not our friend <laughs> kind of thing, you know? And I mean, he's changed them a lot. I'm, when you talk to, when I talk to right-wingers now, I can get them. I was on, I was on Tim Pool with a right-winger across from me. He agreed with everything that I said. <laughs> he was like, well, I can't argue with you on that. So wait, what are you, where do you get, dig a little deeper into that. I, I need to understand because they, it seems to me that everything I absorb from it is, from the whole Trump movement, my mom's a big Trumper, my brother, that it's 
it's that they push back against, or he would just in your face to people on the left. It was more like a cult of personality, or then you have the kind of people that we uh, come across where it's the Q thing, which is a complete distraction. So what, what are the- Libertarianism is a distraction. Yeah, libertarianism no, I, I, and Q, libertarianism that, yeah. has more in common with Q because libertarians are waiting for some somebody to come and save Within them. In the framework. They're not going to save I, themselves. I have to tell you about the tweet that really, like, that was it for me. Like, I just used to be like, oh, there's room for everyone on this tent. It was a tweet from the Libertarian Party, like the big one. And it was during the Brett Kavanaugh thing. And it said, we have to reject Brett Kavanaugh because uh, he, he, stands credibly accused of whatever sexual molestation or whatever it was. And that trial and sexual molestation is the antithesis of Liberty. I'm like, dude, I can't, I've just stands credibly accused. That's your standard of uh, taking away somebody's liberty, although he was just going for government positions. So I don't care. Yeah, it's Bill yeah. Cosby. I worry about they had that but, strategy for Kavanaugh mapped out. We went through this on the show. They had it mapped out and ready to go before they even chose Kavanaugh. They were just going to plug in whatever the person was and modify it slightly. Linda Sarsour talks about it in a long interview. I mean, this stuff was planned out step by step. It's not a matter of who the person is. They these tactics they use are just straight up about deception and organizing using outrage and fear. Sure. I mean, it's all propaganda. That's why the left has to be destroyed. I mean, they have to be <laughs> literally destroyed. I mean, they they, they have to destroy them and send them someplace like North Korea. I mean, I, I'm not talking about literal North Korea. I'm talking about that's how they have to live the rest of their lives. And I'm not talking about the leftist that you know, you know, the, the person that you can have a conversation with. I'm talking about the leadership, all these people. We need to send them someplace where they suffer for the rest of their lives because they have to pay for at least the last 20 months. OK, it, 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 that would be per, that's the way they pay for the last 20 months is they suffer for the rest of their lives. Because there are enough people in this country who are going to suffer for the rest of their lives because of what they did in the last 21 months. Do you consider I'm Klaus not Schwab? Even, I'm left? not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. They need to suffer. So when you say the left, do you consider people like Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset People World Economic Forum? Do you consider them to sure. be? He wants chaos. Yeah. He wants chaos. He doesn't want order. He wants chaos. He wants chaos in your life. And that's the one thing about these people that people aren't that don't get is they don't care about you. Like the average American, it used to be the American dream that you woke up and you thought about how you were going to improve your life. And then you had kids and you thought about what your kid's future was going to be like. These people making these decisions, especially in the last 21 months, they don't give a fuck about you or your kids. They don't care. They'll destroy you or your kids just to get their way. They have to go down. I don't understand why this in in libertarianism in the libertarian world is so friggin' controversial. These people need to be friggin' subdued. They need to be subjugated because they, they want to subjugate us. They think of us as animals. Yeah. And they think of us as and we need species. to treat them like animals after we defeat them. All right. Put them this on a is, farm. This is where I want to break like to go an hour. I have my big question for you about the nature, the true nature of power and, and a couple of different levels. I want to really dig in to that with you. And I think this is a good launching off point for that. So 
Uh, this was a, a consequence of popular demand. Our patrons absolutely demanded longer interviews. So okay. we are going to uh, put the stop the free hour now, and then we will take up for another probably 20 minutes if you have the time. Of course. And uh, Binkley, you want to break or I've got to take this dog for a while. You can take that and Pete can tell our <laughs> listeners where they can find him. That's a great idea. Sure. Um, Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. Um, the, I have a sub stack by any memes necessary. <laughs> and yeah, and even has the, my logo is Malcolm X sit at the window with, with the M1 in his hand. And Libertarian Institute. I mean, it's a lot of great work being done there. And um, we just had our fun drive end of the year fund drive and met all of our expectations. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Check it out. Fantastic. And you said you would accept money if people still wanted to continue sending it to support yeah. the projects. Uh, so, well, it's just, yeah. For the Libertarian Institute and to support the movie, which is um, at America's police crisis.com. And you're back on Twitter, right? I, um, I saw you back on Twitter. Yeah. I'm back on Twitter. How many different accounts do you have anyway? Well, I mean, they nuked my another one of mine that was up. I was up to 21, 22,000 followers. And um, yeah, that one got uh, taken down. So, <laughs> well, it tends to happen. I, I have not been taken down yet. I don't think my account's big enough. That's probably why. And I, um, I pretty much just tweet out shows and stuff. But thank you for joining us. And we will do the extra session when Monica returns. You guys can. Find us at thepropreport.com or whatever podcasting platform you're on. We also do a daily show, Drive Time News Blast, every weekday afternoon. We will talk to you all next time. Thank you all for watching. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Brad.